Well, hello and welcome back to Out of Curiosity. This is our podcast where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Nick. And I'm Garland. And today we are going to talk about who the serpent is in the Garden of Eden. A talking snake. A talking snake who slithers up and tells Eve to eat some fruit. First of all, that it tells a human anything is automatically weird. It's weird. Uh, yeah, it's just strange. Everything, and, and it's strange that Eve isn't bothered by the talking she serpent. She gets it. She's, She's like, like, yeah, that sounds oh, right. Oh, cool. Hi yeah, there. That sounds right. <laughs> so, uh, hey, before we dive into this, some maybe some helpful background listening would be the episode we did on the question, are there other gods in the Bible? Because we're going to assume some of that discussion for this discussion. And in brief summary, what we talked about in that episode is that in the biblical worldview, there are really three kinds of beings. Um, and instead of the two we tend to think of, just humans and God, uh, there's a third category that sometimes gets called the gods or spirit beings or in some places angels. But it's this spiritual being that occupies the realm that God occupies, that were created by God, um, that are subservient to him and yet do occupy another space than humans in kind of the, the cosmic order. Mm -hmm. that, that's a, that's a, a good summary. And uh, the other thing we got to do is first, let's just read the account. So if you wouldn't mind read for us, Genesis chapter three, a very famous passage. This is where we, we typically call the fall. I like to call it the intro to the fall because the fall is going to last uh, several chapters of uh, the book of Genesis here, but Genesis chapter three and just read uh, verses one through five. All right. Genesis three, one to five from the NIV. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so, wow, right off the bat, and this is a question, I've actually got this question from people before to say, y'all don't really believe that <laughs> a, a, a serpent, a snake talked to a human. And in our modern, you know, glasses that people put on, our kind of modern uh, American Western glasses, uh, the answer would be, well, of course not. Uh, it's not what we're actually affirming in this, but I, I think often we want to say, no, we're not affirming that. We don't exactly know why. And right. uh, that's what we'd like to do in this episode is, is to clarify who is exactly is this? And what we're going to see is this, the biblical story is going to be a little bit meandering on giving us that answer. So first things first, I'm going to make a, a blanket statement, then we'll come back and unpack it. The ancient Near Eastern reader of this, the Hebrew hearer of this uh, story, will automatically know that this is not a talking snake. They will automatically be cued in to think this is one of those Elohim, those spirit beings. Okay, so what what clues an original reader? Because we read it and we go, serpent, snake. S sounds like a serpent. What's what going on here? Yeah, so uh, we're going to talk more about this in, as we continue this in the series. But the the gardens in the ancient world, you would, you would build a temple, and a temple is reflective of the place where heaven and earth meet. It's the place where mm -hmm. the gods come, and they come together with the earth. And oftentimes there were gardens planted next to these temples. The gardens were the hanging out place of the gods. And so uh, the gods are, they want to live a luxurious life. Humans are taking care of them. And then therefore they'll take care of and bless the humans. And actually later biblical writers, we're going to turn to Ezekiel 28 in a minute. Uh, but they, they 
imagine, and they put the Garden of Eden also on a mountain, the, the mountain of God. And so what we have here is a meeting place of the gods. This garden is where the the gods would come together and make decisions and talk. And what we what we saw in the last episode is that uh, we have to get our, our minds wrapped around this concept. Yahweh is the creator, and Yahweh is the king of the earth, and Yahweh one worthy of worship, but Yahweh has given authority to other Elohim, other spirit beings, and they function like his cabinet members, almost mm-hmm. like the president in his cabinet. And so here we have uh, a garden, the place where God dwells. That's what God is doing on day seven. He's coming to rest and dwell in this place that he's made. In this garden space, we have the creator God, we have humans brought in, and it's natural for the ancient person to expect in a garden space, this is the meeting place of God and his staff team. So when we think about, uh, just in the Genesis account, an ancient person hearing this is not thinking, I bet that's a talking snake. Now, we got to fill in a little bit more of our picture. You ready to, any questions before we turn? So uh, I'm so like, they would have made a distinction, even though it says the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. They right. would have known to distinguish that from the other wild animals. Well, and even our translation there, talking uh, when we talk about that translation, the serpent, let me pull it up here in, uh, we got it right here, Genesis chapter 3. The serpent being more crafty. Do you have the word pulled up for what is being translated there as wild animals? Uh, wild animals looks like uh, hayah. So just just the other beings. It doesn't give us. Okay. It, I mean, if I'm expecting wild animals, I would expect behema or one of these other Hebrew words. And what we're getting is the beings, just the ones that exist. Okay. So, the things that are. Yeah, I'm not expecting that to give me that this is necessarily one of the animals. And so uh, as we turn to uh, Ezekiel 28, so to answer your question, I think based on just the the grammar of that, the word choice of that, yeah. of the other beings that are there. The serpent was more crafty. Ezekiel 28 is going to give us really good insight. Now, do you want to give background on what's going on in Ezekiel? You go there. there. So Ezekiel is a prophet of Israel. He's writing uh, in the 500s BC, and he's talking about the nation of Israel going into exile. The Babylonians are coming in. They're going to carry the people of Israel into exile. And Ezekiel is one of these exiles that he's giving explanation for why the exile has taken place. And one of the things Ezekiel is going to do is he's going to bring oracles of judgment on the nations that have oppressed Israel. Uh, These nations presently are oppressing Israel, but one day Yahweh will bring justice and rightness to the land. And he goes on long, if you've ever read Ezekiel or a lot of those big long prophets, they'll have these sections in the middle that are a little bit hard to read, just judgment after judgment after judgment on all these nations. And here, he takes up a word concerning one of the kingdoms that was oppressing Israel called Tyre. Uh, now, if you wouldn't mind, uh, what we're going to have to see is there's going to be a a little bit of a distinction of what's going on. So read uh, Ezekiel 28, verse 1. All right, Ezekiel 28, 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Okay, so there's a ruler of this nation called Tyre, And this is a judgment against him. Notice what he says. In the pride of your heart, you say, I am a God. So we have a human king, a human ruler who has, and this was very common in the ancient world, where the king is, becomes divine. We see this even as late as the Roman empire, the king becomes divine. This human king is elevating himself to the level of El or a God. 
Now, the, 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 the scripture here, this oracle of judgment will be unleashed on this human king. But now skip down to verse 11. And what we're going to see happen is, as the prophet reflects on this pride of this king of Tyre, it's almost like it's going to jar his mind to another example of somebody, some being wanting to exalt themselves to the place of God. And then we're going to try to get our picture of what who this serpent is. So here's the context. Ezekiel's reflecting on a human king elevating himself to God and goes, you know, that reminds me of another story. And it's like he's reflecting on this Genesis account. Let's read it together, starting in verse 11, Ezekiel 28, 11. Ezekiel 28, 11, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Keep going. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Okay, so pause right there. Here's what we've got. He's reflecting on this sealer, this this one who seals up perfection and beauty, mm-hmm. one who was in Eden, who was in the garden of God, who was there with yep. the other Elohim. And by the way, the Elohim are often described as the stars or the dazzling ones or mm-hmm. the bright ones. Look at the next part of the description. We don't have to read it because who can read those words? I don't know what those but, words uh, are. But all of the, all, this is basically a way to say he's like the other Elohim. He's like a star. He shines. And then let's pick it back up in uh, on verse 14. Verse 14, you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. Let's pause before we keep going. Uh, an anointed cherub. What in the world? What in the world? Anointed cherub. And what it, it seems as we think about this this cabinet of Yahweh, some of the some of this cabinet have as their primary task to to we might say guard the throne room or to encircle the throne of, of Yahweh and proclaim his praises. And sometimes they're called cherubs and sometimes they're called seraphs. Now, seraph is the Hebrew word for burn. That's what things that are burned. That's why they're bright, shiny things. And uh, when we sing cherubim and seraphim, you want to sing it? Falling no, you got down this. before him. That is reflecting. I'm just here to ask sing, questions as today. We, as we sing that old hymn, uh, that is us saying the, the angels around the throne are worshiping Yahweh, a seraphim is a burning one, a bright one. And in Isaiah chapter six, he says, he calls these cherub here in Ezekiel 28, they're called cherubs. Isaiah will call them seraphim. Mm. And often in the ancient world, seraphim had different kinds of depictions. Sometimes they were depicted as dragon looking things. Sometimes they were depicted as lion animal with wing looking things. Mm. Sometimes in the ancient world, they're depicted as like lizard looking snake things. And huh. so the the ancient Near Eastern world, a seraphim often depicted was a snake. And so hmm. is the is the author of Ezekiel is, is sitting here reflecting on this great rebellion and he says one of those guardian beings, one of those throne beings has rebelled in some way. And it's, he's connecting all these dots saying you were the one who was in Eden, you were on the mountain of God, and he's drawing our attention that this this spirit being is now one of these seraphim or cherubim. Well, now keep going. What happened? Verse 15. Verse 15. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the Mount of God and I expelled you guardian cherub from among the fiery stones. 
Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Okay, so what is this? What is the great rebellion of this particular cherub? His great rebellion is pride. Mm. His elevation of his status and standing before Yahweh. It's the very thing he's offering to Adam and Eve. You can grab power and authority on your own. And, he, and by the way, when you eat of it, you'll be like one of the Elohim. You'll take your status up a level. Now, we could go into the details of this, but the irony is the humans had already been given a higher status than the Elohim. They were right. made in Yahweh's image, and here they get deceived into thinking that mm. God's holding out on them. Uh, we're going to see. We, we're not going to turn there, but I would encourage anybody who's listening to this, go read Isaiah chapter 14, and we will see this exact same idea take place as one of these morning stars. By the way, that's where we get our term for Lucifer, this name. One yeah. of these morning stars, it's called the Son of the Dawn, will make these five statements of I will. I will ascend to the heavens. I will make my throne above all the other created beings. I will be the most high. So this figure, as the later biblical writers reflect on it, are, are seeing that the serpent is one of these uh, divine counsel who has in their arrogance desire to have uh, a place of authority that was inappropriate for them. We call that pride. We call that arrogance. And that's the, the root of sin. Now, any questions where we talk about the Satan? No, I think that, that, that makes sense. Give us the Satan. So the Satan, this, this is, I think what, what most of us do is we go, okay, yes, the serpent, that's really Satan. Satan's a, a name for the bad red devil guy with the pointy stick. Um, right. And we got to be a little bit more careful. Why is it a pitchfork? That. Why does the devil need a pitchfork? Because the gods in the ancient Greek culture were depicted as they were one of their weapons they used was, was a, trident. a trident. They're just taking, so they're it's just a trident, up not on a it. pitchfork. Kind of a, yeah, a pitchfork's not nearly as intimidating as a trident. That's good. Okay, thanks uh, so for clarifying not, he's that. Not, he's not out doing his throwing hail, yeah, hay, he's hay throwing, into a bat, he's throwing uh, hay wagon over his wagon. No, that's not what's happening at all. It's a weapon that okay, he goes and kills people with. An aha moment for me. People listening right now are like. Those two idiots. are dorks and nerds. Um, let's talk about the Satan. The, okay, the you keep on way. saying the Satan. Yes, instead I'm of drawing I've always out. just heard Satan. Why exactly. are you saying the Satan? The 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 there's a the way to express um, the definite article in Hebrew is you say ha ha before you say a word. So ha, ha. and then the the word Satan is the Hebrew word for accuser okay. or opponent. And every time that this particular figure that we now call Satan, oftentimes, it always has a definite article, ha-satan, which is kind of fun to say, ha-satan. Ha-satan. And so the Satan, ha-satan, we're going to see this figure show up, but we have to be clear. I'm going to make another big statement, and then we'll come back and clarify it. Satan is not a name. The Satan is not a name. It is a function. It is a, we might say, a job description. Okay. Not a name. Uh, let's turn to Job chapter one. We get to look at Job finally in Out of Curiosity. Uh, <laughs> it's been a so long time coming. We hadn't got to do that yet. Uh, Job chapter one, we get this really strange picture. And I think for a lot of us, this is... Uh, 
when we read this and when we think about Satan, the chief demon with his pitchfork or his tritus, there I go. yeah, there I go. <laughs> um, then we kind of get it wrong. And let's just see what's going on in Job chapter one. And uh, the setting is, this is a, a, a story that's going to dive into the concept of evil and, uh, the, and how can God be good and evil exist. But we're going to pick it up in, in verse six. There's a man named Job and we're going to see this divine counsel depicted yet again. So let's look at it. Job one, starting in verse six. All right. Job one, six, one day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And then what's going to transpire is the Satan's going to basically make accusation against Job. Well, have you really thought about this Yahweh? Have you really considered him? We're not told that this is this prince, archangel of evil, the great evil devil. We're just told that one of the Elohim, when all the Elohim came before Yahweh, was doing his task, actually. He was performing his role, which was he's, his role is to be the accuser. He's the prosecutor. He's the opponent. Now, this word, uh, this word Satan, this is why we're beating this horse dead a little bit. The word Satan, in one, in, in one place in the Bible, Numbers chapter 22, it's actually the, the talking donkey. We've got the snake right. and the donkey in this episode. There's an angel that's placed in the way of that donkey in Numbers 22, and mm-hmm. we're told that that angel is called the Satan. Hmm. But we don't think that that is no, some always, evil figure. It just means the opponent to the donkey moving forward. So that's what the word Satan means. It's opponent or adversary. It's one who comes in between. And so here we have this particular uh, Satan, the Satan, this adversary. And he's doing his role. He's actually doing his role very well. And when we consider that we have a spirit being who is uh an opponent or an accuser or a prosecutor. That's what the old Testament understanding of the Satan Hasatan is. Now that doesn't sound like what we normally think about no. when we can try to connect all these dots and putting this all together and wrapping it up. By the time we get to the, 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 the new Testament period, we call it the intertestamental period, the period between uh, the completing of the Old Testament and the writing of the New Testament, the the people living in that day had soaked up all of these different narratives. They've thought about them. They've wrestled through them. They've written about them. And it's a lot of the books that we don't read uh, in this intertestamental period. Uh, they've thought about all these concepts. And by the time we get to the New Testament in that era, they've began to coalesce these, this, this, these different figures, the cherubim in Ezekiel 28, the serpent, the satan, They've put all of that stuff together, and now the concept of one being who really functions as the great opponent to Yahweh and his dealing with humanity has started to emerge how a lot of us think of it. And I know we talked about this last uh, a few episodes ago, but uh, by the time we get to Jesus going out into the wilderness for his trial, who does he square off with? Satan. The Satan. And it's the same way to say it. There's a definite article, the Satan. But by now, it's as if this one figure called Hasatan, the Satan, has get, has been given more and more prominence by those understanding the biblical data. And it's not until we get to Revelation 12, so the very last book of the Bible, that this 
finally comes to, we might say, the full picture is given to us. Now, remember, this is later biblical authors reflecting on what has been transpiring in all of these millennia. And so if you would look uh, and read Revelation chapter 12, and we'll read verse 1 through 3. Revelation 12, 1 to 3, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its head. And now who's the dragon? Read verse 9. Verse 9, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. So now by the time we get to Revelation, they've reflected on all of this. We see Jesus who's reflected on all of this when he sends his disciples out and they come back with a report that, man, we casted out demons. We saw people healed. He goes, I saw the Satan fall from heaven. Yeah. Jesus is saying that opponent, that adversary, we are combating him in mm. what we are doing, what I'm doing in my life and pronouncement as king. But all of this is just such a murkier picture than when we think of one great evil, this one great evil is opposed to God, and it's always been this way. And then we connect that to the serpent. It's not till Revelation 12 that we actually see this. So we might summarize all this by saying, who is the Satan, the serpent, all of this? He's a created spiritual being. He is not co-equal with Yahweh. Mm -hmm. He is not some offsetting power with Yahweh. He's a created spiritual being. He's a guardian cherub. He was in the divine council. His great sin is pride. He's been thrown down to the land. He does have power and authority. He leads, we're going to see as we look at how the other angels fell, he leads other rebellious Elohim, and he will be defeated by Yahweh. Yahweh defeats this Satan, this great power in sending his son and his death and resurrection. Uh, now, I find all this to be completely fascinating. Now, it's a little bit different, long-winded answer to who is the serpent. I think we can say, I think it's Satan. Yeah. But it's not quite as cut and dry as that. And we want to be careful readers of our Bible. Well, it's been helpful. What I would really, we're out of time, but what I'd really like to hear you talk about is what is Satan up to today mm -hmm. and how involved is he in our lives? And mm -hmm. is he making our tires go flat and things like that? Right. Is he personally tempting us to sin? We don't have time, but you know, somebody were to message us at, out at a uh, OO curiosity or go to our website at www.ookuriosity.com. They could say, Garland, please tell us what Satan is doing in the world right <laughs> we now. Had to do that. We're and uh, to do that. that, that episode will come up soon. So, Hey, Thanks, Garland, and thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity. Thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity as we discussed who is the serpent in the Garden of Eden. We encourage you to look into this more in Out of Curiosity episode 44, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, Job 1, Unseen Realm by Michael Heisler, The Cosmic Mountain in Canaan, and The Old Testament by Richard Clifford. If you want to send in a question or contact us, go to OOCuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at OOCuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.